the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh! They did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it all in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the Monday College Basketball Betting Preview. I'm Stucky. Joining me, as always, is BJ Cunningham and Mike Calvaries. We have a lot to get to today. We'll little weekend recap. We'll talk some spots that we have tonight. We'll talk a little Notre Dame Duke, and then we'll all throw out one spot that we have circled for Tuesday's card. Uh, so let's uh, jump right in. I'll start with BJ. How are things with you? Oh, things are wonderful here in the beautiful state of Iowa. Um, this weekend was, uh, I think it was a good picture and I'm really hoping I'm like knocking on wood right now. And I'm hoping that this week, this weekend just showed that Mark March is going to be insane because right now teams are just getting upset left and right. Teams are collapsing left and right. It's going to be insane come March. If this continues on the path it's going towards, because right now we don't really have in my mind, like uh, a definite, like best team in the nation, especially after Baylor went down to Alabama, you know, Gonzaga is going to run through the WCC and then we'll see what happens come tournament time. But there are going to be there's so many upsets, so many close games, so many crazy collapses, and it's it's going to be a fun ride from now from February till March. Yeah, it's it's definitely not like last year with, and I, I said this all year, where Baylor and Gonzaga are the two steps ahead of everyone. It's not the case. Kentucky certainly put their uh, their hand up to say to everyone, "Hey, uh, we might be the best team in the country when it's all said and done." But Alabama, you, you mentioned Alabama. One of my biggest takeaways from the weekend was, I mean, Alabama has a resume now of wins over Houston, Gonzaga, and Baylor. They have losses to Georgia and Missouri. What the hell are we going to do with Alabama just from a bracket perspective? I have no idea. Are they, do I have them going out in the first round? Do I have them going to the Final Four? They might be the hardest team to end up deciding what to do with in the bracket. Let me go to Mike. Uh, how are things with you? And I know you were in, in Naples for – a wedding, a place I know very well. How was how was your weekend? And then uh, one one or two key takeaways for you. It was lovely down there. And when you're coming from the frigid Northeast, even when it's in the 40s, it still feels like springtime. So I still enjoyed myself pretty thoroughly. Um, in terms of you know college sports, I I was seeing Jim Weber, who's kind of a college sports personality on Twitter. He threw out there that he's having a t- difficult time getting excited about college basketball right now. And he likes to throw things back to the eighties and nineties and how it's not the same. And you don't have those necessarily those black hat villain teams and you don't have those juggernaut teams. And I understand compared to college football, you know, college football right now, you have the death star in Alabama and every season kind of feels like the gravitational pull is around where's Alabama. Can someone compete with them? Whereas in this particular season, I think we're now getting into a spot where five or six teams, I think have legitimate national title aspirations and a whole bunch of teams, as you just mentioned with Alabama that are primed to play spoiler and knock some really good teams off. Maybe we'll see that on Tuesday night when they go up against Auburn for the second time in about two or three weeks. 
the one thing that I was most impressed with Alabama was their, their defensive effort. Now Baylor wasn't full, you know, at full full strength, but it wasn't like they got the three point variance that I've been expecting Alabama to get. I mean, I think they were seven of twenty one for three, and then Baylor I think was nine of nineteen, and they still won that game. But they're they're certainly one of the most high variance teams in the country. Saturday, I ended up four seven and one. It was a frustrating day. I get so frustrated on Saturdays when you don't have big Saturdays because you only have like fifteen of them, and they they decide your seasons. Utah in overtime was brutal. Uh, can we stop? I guess I'm going to do a little rant. We got to do a rant of the week. All right. Let it out. This is your rant of the week. Denver, you, you, you go in a shootout with Oral Roberts. It was a great game in the 80s. You're down seven with three seconds to go. We don't need to foul. We, we don't need to. There's no nine-point play. There's not an eight-point play. There's not even a seven-point play. Just can we make a rule that everyone understands that most so many people are betting kids out there. If you're listening, any collegiate athletes, if you're playing basketball, you're down seven with f- less than five seconds to go. There's nothing you can do to win the game. There might be a poor schmuck out there sitting on his couch, or in this case, where well, yeah, I'm like, yeah, no, I was at the bar streaming this game and saying, don't foul, don't foul, don't foul. And then you ruin his afternoon. You lost the game anyway. You might end up covering, and I would have been more of a fan of the Pioneers. So, uh, stop down, and then to my other team, stop going to overtime. BJ, any rants from this weekend? Yeah, I have one. Uh, it's Moorhead State. Uh, it was great. Well, great game against uh, Murray State, two undefeated Ohio Valley teams going into the weekend. I had uh, Moorhead State plus ten. Murray State was covering for a total of twelve seconds the entire game. They were up ten with about twenty-five seconds left to go. Moorhead State hit a three to cut it to seven. Of course, they foul. Murray State goes down, hits two. Murray State runs down, tries to run an offense, and they turn it over. And instead of just holding Murray State, just holding the ball and letting the clock run out and win by nine, they threw it up in transition. They threw a, a one-handed alley-oop right in my face. And then uh, Moorhead State came down and missed a wide-open mid-range jumper to cover. So that was very brutal. And then the Louisville collapse was, was also brutal, which I know. You oh, yeah. Well, I was so. on Louisville as well. Yep. Um, like tie game with what, three minutes left to go and they allow a 12 0 run. I'm like to do. Yeah. They, yeah. they scored one basket over the final 10 minutes. Um, some just killer threes yeah. by Duke. And yeah, that one was frustrating. And then they weren't even in the bonus at the end when Duke fouled somehow. Um, yeah. They had like three opportunities, like in one possession yeah. for three point shots. And they just couldn't hit one of them just to get within yeah. seven. Um, yeah. That was annoying because it was like their best effort. Like you, you, they didn't come out as hot as I thought, but you could tell that like that was their all in effort. And um, we'll talk Duke in a little bit. Yeah. That one was extremely annoying. Um, Mike, anything you want to rant about from this weekend? Purdue gets all the credit in the world. Jaden Ivey hitting that game winner on Sunday against Ohio State. How many double-digit leads are they going to blow in the second half before they get burned in one of these games? They did it to Penn State like three weeks ago. They're up 20 against Ohio State. You're not going to be able to do that in the tournament after the first game. So I'm going to start looking at some spots, you know, the live betting opportunities, you know, down the stretch here, and certainly during March Madness, because you're going to have some mid-majors who are just going to take that hope that Purdue loves to throw out there when they go on these cold streaks and they're going to, you know, they're, they're finally going to upset somebody. So I'm just shocked also. And this is, I guess the rant part Purdue. When I look at what they have offensively, they have flexibility on the perimeter. They have those two excellent bigs. They shouldn't be going through these long stretches where they can't, you know, find, find a basket or create some points. So I don't know. I'm a little bit frustrated with them. And I think, you know, there's going to be plenty of love for them leading up to selection Sunday 
I'm going to be on the opposite camp on that one. Two of their biggest problems are they they can struggle def- like a defensively on the perimeter. So they have some holes there, and then they have turnover issues, right? And you can – so when teams are in, like, scramble mode, you've seen that a lot. I think both of those contribute to some of the comebacks that we've seen. The one thing that I will say about Purdue, though, that gives me a little more confidence, and it sounds like you have, just from a potential-to-be-upset perspective, especially early in the tournament, is that those two bigs, like, in the Big Ten, you have some guys that can go against it, but there's not many mid-majors that are going to have – anybody that can mm-hmm. contain them so like just the amount of easy buckets that they're going to be able to get and foul trouble that they're going to be able to generate that's an that's a really good thing to rely on but you know once you get into you know you could also run into a, a high major team with a, a good big that that can provide at least some resistance I and mean, those those their, their bigs are are excellent but you that's that's one thing that might save them but you're right that there's it's definitely troubling how they've been able to close out games, uh, but uh, Ivy is a stud. Um, any thoughts on Purdue, BJ, from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, they're they're obviously their offense is incredible, with those bigs to be able to, you know, with Ivy being able to shoot. The, the biggest thing, you know, like you mentioned, it's the turnovers. You know, the, the game against uh, – the first game against Iowa, when Iowa came all the way back against them without Keegan Murray, is just ingrained in my brain from watching them just press them for an entire half and yeah. Purdue just being lost, not knowing what to do. And like you said, I mean, allowing Ohio State to come back in that game was was really really bad. And their you know their they're defense up 20 is up. They're up 20. yeah their defense is 90th in defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. They're 339th in turnover percentage on defense. So when you can't turn anybody over, and obviously you have two incredible bigs, and teams can shoot three three pointers over you, it's uh, it's you know they I would say they look beatable. But like you mentioned, Stucky, if they if they don't if a team doesn't have bigs that can go up against those two guys, then it's you know pretty much all she wrote. Even with all these you know turnover issues and everything in tournament. So yeah, if they like you said, if they get a couple bigs uh, against them and a team that gets hot from three, it, they could they could go down early. But um, this feels like a uh, a team that's going to lose in the elite eight, in my opinion. Ninetieth and defense. Yeah, I mean I've I've been over this before. There is pretty much no exception to the rule that you cannot add up your on Ken Palm your offensive and defensive efficiency prior to the tournament, you look back at every national champion, you cannot be over 50. So you can yeah. be like 20th in offense, 20th in defense. You could be number one on offense. You can be like number 38. on. But if you are really bad, and not, not, you know, 90s is really bad, but if you're not, if you're outside the top 50 in one of those categories, it, more times than not, we haven't seen anyone else do it. I think like UConn when, um, What's his name? When Kemba went nuts, they were like before the tournament. Before the tournament, they were like fifty-one ish. So I mean, obviously, fifty is just like a, it's a nice clean line. But if you're way up there, 90, 90 defensive efficiency, it's pretty telling. All right, um, let's let's move on to Monday slate. We'll start with Notre Dame and Duke. Um, that is probably the most interesting game I think of the night. Notre Dame is streaking, but still could really use a win. And they've been playing really well at home. They have some really good home wins. And they survived Virginia on Saturday night. They're five-and-a-half-point dogs here. Duke, to me, I, I for, I'll just throw it out here. I took Notre Dame plus five-and-a-half. I don't think Heels is going to play. Could participate in warm-ups. But all the quotes are like, we want to make sure he's right. We want to be cautious. They, they're at UNC next. He didn't play Saturday. It's not Monday. He might. I think he, if he does play be on a minutes restriction. He gives them another ball handler. He's important to the defensive end. It's not as important here against Notre Dame. They're not going to like pressure you and you don't have to worry as much about 
having a ball handle here. But I, I'm assuming that he's not going to play or he's going to be really limited. If you look at what Duke's done on the road this year, it's still a really young team. Not that impressive. I mean, they lost to Florida State. They should have lost it. I mean, let's see. They lost to Florida State. They blew out Wake. And then against Louisville, a pretty bad Louisville team. It's tied late. And then, and again, that when you were watching it, you felt like it could go either way the entire second half. It'll come down to if Duke can hit shots against a very compact Notre Dame defense. And if they're raining from threes, sure, they can run away with this. But I think this Notre Dame offense is playing really well. And especially at home, you should get a great crowd here. I don't think you'll get much from Keels. I think that there's some value on the Irish. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, everything you just laid out is, if I were to play this at all, I'm going to go with Notre Dame in this spot. I think I, I lost the enthusiasm to, to rush up to the window and bet on the Blue Devils from that Clemson game. That was one of those spots where I didn't have a play ahead of time. You know, they're, they're kind of stuck in neutral for most of the first half. I hopped in on the live line to say, okay, they're clearly going to get it together against this Clemson team, and they did not. And for those reasons, I just, I think, there's not a special element to them right now. And Bancaro is incredible, but he's more of a, a mid-range jumper. So he's not someone's going to have some heat checks and give you a three or four threes and a half and really carry you offensively. So because of that, I still need to see more from them. And with the look ahead to North Carolina on Saturday, this is not a spot for me to get in bed with the Blue Devils. Yeah, I mean, A.J. Griffin, maybe. I mean, he didn't help us Louisville backers on Saturday. He's, he's, he's 32 of 64 from three. Uh, on the season. I, I don't need him. I, just don't go hundred percent again, AJ. Um, so he'll, you know, if he goes, he's gone seven to seven from three, you know, Notre Dame could be in trouble. There's also something to note here is that Duke is opponents in ACC players shooting 27% from three. That's not going to last. So, and Notre Dame's a team that can shoot. Um, Lecheski, I think it could be a matchup problem here, pulling some of the Duke bigs away because uh, he can really shoot. So there could be some shooting regression on both sides that favors Notre Dame. BJ, any thoughts here? Yeah, I, I don't mind Notre Dame here. I might potentially be looking at an over. You know, both teams are shooting over 30% from behind the arc. Uh, both teams are only, they're pretty low in terms of turnover percentage on defense. The one thing that kind of worries me with Notre Dame is they don't have a lot of depth uh, at their big man position. They go pretty small. Uh, you know, Lecheski, like you mentioned, is 6'10", but, you know, they're starting Gooden, who's a six, who's 6'6", six, six, at power forward, and Duke has a lot of big bodies that they can throw inside. And you kind of saw that in the second half, that Duke, really was able to get inside uh, on, on Louisville. So that kind of concerns me. If one of those guys gets in foul trouble, uh, Duke could potentially just wreck Notre Dame inside. But, you know, I think that potentially, you know, in an over, potentially with a look here. But uh, other than that, I think I'm just kind of staying away, just given the, uh, the size advantage Duke has inside. And, you know, if they shoot like crazy from three uh, again, then, you know, Notre Dame's in trouble. Yeah, I mean, one of the two things that I really like about – this uh, about this matchup as well is that I fear like what if you look at this Duke team especially at full strength they are super talented right and them in transition just scares me at all times like I think that is when they're at their delays their half court offense which I think is ultimately going to be their downfall come March it can be a little wonky at times they need you know they rely on the offensive glass and their athleticism and you know you, you got to have Griffin and and hitting some threes but Notre Dame doesn't turn the ball over and they're, I think top 25 in the country in that department and they're packed in D you know, they don't have a ton of size, but they're really good on the defensive glass. So I think that they're going to, they're, you know, they're not going to let Duke's not going to be out running here and they're not going to be living on the offensive glass. I'll take my chances with Duke 
needing to shoot uh, the lights out from three here in a, in a pretty good spot for Notre Dame. Um, all right, let's let's uh, let's point out one more spot that we each have circled for tonight. Mike, I'll start with you. Anywhere you're looking. So obviously you go from a game that there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on and certainly a difficult ticket to get in South Bend and go to another one that everyone's watching, South Dakota State, North Dakota. Uh, I love this one for a lot of reasons. It's pretty rare that you see a differential in Ken Palm in conference, or in this case in league play, of 270 slots. That's how good South Dakota State is in the summit, and that's how bad you know the Fighting Hawks are here. Fighting Hawks are plus 300 in effective shooting percentage, shooting from the field, three-point. They can't create turnovers, 351st in the entire country. And when you look at what the Jacks have been able to do, they're pumping it in 88 points per game in, in Summit League play. They're first nationally at three point percentage, first in shooting efficiency. They don't just rely on the three point shot, they get to the line 21 times per game. They're a solid defensive rebounding team. They're careful with the basketball. There's so much to like. And then the game within the game, their two best players, Doug Wilson and Baylor Shireman, now averaging 34 points per game combined in the Summit. I love the Jackrabbits in this spot. They just beat them on Thursday, I believe by 35 points at home and they're already 10 and 0 in the summit league and they have not taken their foot off the accelerator. And that's kind of, you know, in, in my experience, betting South Dakota state, that's how it goes here. They're usually favored in a lot of these games since 2019, they've covered 60% of the time against the spread and overall since 2019 as a favorite, they've covered 60% of the time. So I'm really in love with them here. It's my, my favorite play of Monday night. And it's a good game to watch. If you can find the stream, if you can find it anywhere, go ahead and watch some fun basketball because at the mid-major level, it doesn't get quite more exciting than seeing South Dakota State run and gun for, you know, the full 40 minutes. I don't know if, uh, how fun the game is going to be. I don't know how fun uh, watching North Dakota is. North Dakota is miserable. By the way, when I had – so I had my priors on North Dakota, and then and then they, within their first three games, they beat they beat Montana, and then they beat Troy. I'm like, who, is this team, like, better than I thought? And then they just have lost, like, every game since. The only thing – that I would worry about here is, I mean, South Dakota State just beat them by 35 last Thursday. And then, you know, you have an emotional win uh, against North Dakota State, 80 to 76 on Saturday. So do they, do they come out sleeping? It just, you know, Monday after a big game, a team that, and then this is a team that just blew out on Thursday by 35. The talent differential just might make up for all of that, but that's the only thing I would worry about. Um, BJ, what do you got here? Well, South Dakota State, I mean, those are the one, that's a team, if you're uh, thinking about March, to circle because they could just shoot any team really yeah. out of the gym right now. But obviously their defense is terrible. But I'm going to go with a little more of a – 44% from three on the year. Shoot. <laughs> yeah, uh, they put up 88 against Alabama earlier this year, um, but gave up 104. Uh, I'm going to go with a pretty terrible game, uh, but I think a good spot. SIU Edwardsville uh, against Austin P. Edwardsville has been a bit unlucky this season. They're seven and 14, but they should, you know, shot quality says they should be closer to 500. So I think this is a pretty good time to buy on low on them considering they've just lost uh, six straight games. They're terrible shooting behind the arc, but they don't take a high percentage of threes. They're a decent shooting percentage inside the arc, a little over 50%. That's where they can just exploit Austin P 314th in the country and two point field goal percentage. They, they allow 68.8 field goal percentage at the rim. That's the fourth worst mark in college basketball. Uh, also, Edwardsville top 70 in offensive rebounding percentage and free throw rate, while Austin P defensively is outside the top 300 in both those categories. Austin P offensively does take a high percentage of three-pointers, but they don't hit them at a high rate. They're only around 30% for the season. 
Also, Austin P much better in the half court than they are in transition. They're about middle of the pack uh, in the Ohio Valley in half court offense. But SIU Edwardsville actually third in the Ohio Valley in points per possession allowed in half court defense. So I think this is a pretty good spot for uh, SIU Edwardsville to get off their losing streak. So give me them plus one and a half on the road in Clarksville, Tennessee tonight. All right. Yeah, I would say South Dakota State's watchable. By the way, Noah Friedel, is he ever going to play? I don't know. He's like they, he addresses but doesn't play. Like before the year, he, he you would ask me who their best players. You could argue it was him. He's not even playing for South Dakota State last three weeks, and the coach just keeps saying it's like a basketball decision. I don't know. Um, South Dakota State's watchable. I'd be this is one you bet, and you can follow along on the Action Network app. Yep, I, I exactly. would not recommend yep. watching this game at all. Um, all right, let's let's move. On. Take a look on Tuesday's slate. Give someone – lines aren't out yet. We're recording this early Monday afternoon. But just give someone something to look out for, a spot that you had circled. Um, I'll start. I'm, I'm just going to throw – I think it's going to be a great spot for the Johnnies. I mean, I've been itching to fade this Providence team. Unfortunately, they played Marquette on Saturday. And, you know, I wanted to fade – I've been wanting to fade Marquette too. It just wasn't the right spot. I think Marquette covered the close and but lost the game, which makes, makes – it actually makes a lot of sense to me that that happened in that game. But Providence pulled out another two-point win. They beat Xavier at the buzzer the game before that. But if you look at a lot of these analytic sites and you talk to many people in basketball, they're going to say Providence has been running extremely well on a number of fronts. You can look at shot quality. At, you, by BJ, I don't know. You probably have it there. They might be the luckiest in the nation as of right now. You can watch them. Are, are they last? Yep. Their uh, shot quality record is 18 – or their actual record is 18-2, and two, but their shot quality record is 11-9. and nine. Yeah, and if you just watch some of their shots, like they've been making crazy shots. And the other thing that some of these analytics sites don't capture is the fact that they've played some teams without key players, and then they barely pulled out wins. Uh, Sonogo and UConn wasn't in. Obiago with Seton Hall wasn't in, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, in this COVID age and the injuries, like the, that's not going to be captured in just like strength of record. And if you look at who the teams that they beat. So they've been running extremely well. St. John's, I, they're going to have to go on some kind of run to get to the bubble, but it has to start with this game. They were up eight in the second half against Providence and then collapsed. I mean, Providence ended up like 28 of 30 from the line, and St. John's missed like a shit ton of free throws. Um, I think it's a great spot to sell high on a Providence team that's been running like gods. Uh, so I'll, I'll be looking at the Johnnies tomorrow night. Um, Michael, let me throw it to you. Anything you got circled for tomorrow? Uh, just a, a few quick questions there. Do we know what's wrong with Champagny? You know, in terms of his scoring, he looked lost in that Seton Hall game. He only scores yeah. nine in the last one. And they uh, certainly didn't matter that Seton Hall game. Everyone was throwing it in from all over the place, playing in that high school CYO gym that Seton Hall has been relegated to. But I'm just confused because he clearly was the offensive engine for so long. And he certainly had a shot to be Big East player of the year. But the announcers were kind of just dancing around this idea. He just doesn't look right. His body language is off. So if I could get more clarity on that, I, I might also jump in in a spot to fade one of, you know, maybe the luckiest teams in the country. And real quick, just so I can maintain my CAA street cred, I am on Drexel tonight against UNC Wilmington. You want to talk about a luck differential? According to Ken Palm, UNC Wilmington third nationally, Drexel 321st. So maybe they'll this will finally run out a UNC Wilmington team that has had so many comfort behind victories in the last yeah, five. They're down double digits in the second half of every game, and they're, they, they're, they're somehow undefeated in the CAA. Yeah, it's, you I mean, say paper they, tiger. Yeah. You say CAA paper tiger. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and just mention, um, I think this is the last stand for St. Bonaventure. You know, they're hosting Davidson on yep. Tuesday. Uh, 
it's difficult for me to get real fired up about it. It's going to depend on the number just based on how the Bonnies have played recently, you know, losing that game against George Mason and not really being competitive. And then the 18 point loss at Dayton has taken a lot of wind out of their sails. But like I said, you know, if they're catching points in this game and I get, you know, plus money on the money line, I'm interested because Davidson for all of their, you know, all the things to get excited about offensively, they can still have those nights where the ball doesn't go in from long distance. So maybe this is the right matchup for the Bonnies, but it, for a, a pretty slim card, this was the only one that caught my attention. Yeah. If I, I've been burned by Bonnies a couple times this year and I, this, I had this spot circled February 1st. We talked about this on the big bets on live live show uh, on Saturday mornings at 10 30 AM. We, and I had their spot circle, but like the game at Dayton, um, the the game at George Mitt, they just had, it's just like, where is this team? Like, where is the team that we are expecting? And if they lay an egg, another egg here, I, they, I might just, they might just become completely unbettable to me. Um, but I, I agree. This is the, if this is the team that everyone was expecting, if we're going to see them, we're going to see them tomorrow night. BJ, what do you got for tomorrow? Well, I also had Providence St. John circled, but I came prepared with the second option in case I have a feeling you were going to go with that. So um, I'll go uh, Tennessee uh, against Texas A&M. So Tennessee, yeah, wait, almost, I had a feeling that you had it, which is why yeah. I jumped in first and got it. So, yeah. I, I, I try to, you know, I try to become come prepared in case, you know, something like that happens. So I got a second option. I'll go uh, Tennessee against Texas A&M. Tennessee almost pulled off one of the craziest comebacks of the entire Saturday. They were down uh 16 with five minutes left to go against Texas went on a 16 to one run, had a shot to win the game and missed it. Uh, you know, their, their defense is really, really good. And it's really starting to put the clamps down very good performance against Texas. Only 52 points allowed. They allowed 50 points against LSU uh, last Saturday per shot quality. They have the second best uh, adjusted defensive efficiency. They turn opponents over at a high rate, seventh in the country, first in steel percentage, just a really, really good defense. But the weird part is, is that defense is kind of struggling in conference play against three-pointers. They're dead last in three-point field goal percentage allowed. But, you know, they're playing Texas A&M, who doesn't take a high percentage of threes, and they don't shoot them at a high percentage either. And really the way to beat Tennessee's defense is you have to get out in transition because they're top 5% in college basketball in points per possession allowed in half-court defense. So for a Texas A&M team that, you know, the does get out in transition a decent amount of time, but they're not really that – they're pretty average when they do so. I think it's going to be a pretty bad match for them. Also, Texas saying that coming off a really embarrassing home loss uh, against South Carolina on Saturday. They've lost four straight games. They're, they're really not looking right. So I, it's, it's time for, for Tennessee to, to get some of this regression back, you know, in a nice blowout win at home. So uh, Ken Palm has the Tennessee minus nine. Uh, I'd say Tennessee anything minus 10 or better. Don't hate it. Uh, any final thoughts, Mike, on any of the games or anything? Just any parting words? Uh, just in general, um, I am interested in, you know, kind of have this stretch run for a lot of these mid-major conferences. And you know, already touched on the A-10, a little bit of the CAA. I think that this is the fun part of the season for me. This is when I, I yep. really do, I would probably say, my most homework in, in earnest um, because conference tournament play, I think the recency bias gets baked in for anyone across the country filling out a bracket where you get you fall too much in love with how they play in those two or three games there. But February is the time to really understand the heartbeat of these teams. So I'm hoping the Bonnies put it together, but uh, I'm not holding my breath. I always feel like I didn't. I talk about this. It's a high variance month. I've had phenomenal Januarys. I've had awful Januarys. Just 
taking uh, away luck or, you know, good or bad luck aside, there's like almost like a lull. It's kind of like, it reminds me of like August and baseball in some ways, but February, it's like, as soon as you like that calendar turns to February, it's, you know, you're not really getting any duds uh, of efforts from teams that need to win. And um, it looks like COVID as of now, fingers crossed, all the craziness and the impact of that is starting to dwindle away. I mean, we're not, we're not seeing like 10, 15 canceled games and ton, as many guys out. So that helps as well. So I'm excited for the stretch run. I hope you guys are as well. Thanks, Mike and BJ, for joining me. As always, thanks to all of you for listening. And hopefully we can uh, go on a big run here through the end of the tournament. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Leave a review. I will. I think I promised last time I would do reviews this week. So I have to. I will do. BJ and I will do some giveaways if there's some five star reviews. I don't care if you say something bad about me. Just leave a five star review, um, and then we'll give. We'll do some giveaways later in the week. Three man weave guys. Three man weave guys will be back on Wednesday with the another episode, and then BJ, myself, we'll have Colin stop in, and probably another guest. We'll be back on Friday as well. And then our big Bets on Campus live show with myself and the guys from Three Men Weave. Saturday mornings, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Live on Twitter. Thanks for joining, as always, and we'll catch you all later. Cheers. Cheers.